0: How's everybody doing? Excellent. Let's open our Bibles to uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. You know, these uh, chapters 13, chapters 13 through 17, and I've said this before, but just to kind of give you a frame or a reference, this really, these chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, these five chapters actually take place in a very short amount of time. And in the scripture, you know that sometimes there can be a great deal of time uh, between verses. Sometimes years, sometimes decades, sometimes even hundreds of years, or even a few thousand years. But not so with these chapters. This 13 through 17 are, are events that took place within a probably a 36-hour or less period. A very short time frame, actually. When Jesus was with his disciples, remember, in the upper room, the night before he was taken and arrested, and ultimately, hours from then, crucified on the cross at Calvary. And so Jesus, being in the upper room with them, he's been telling his disciples, preparing them, really, because Jesus, as we know, is the good shepherd. And what does a good shepherd do When he knows that he's going to depart or when there's going to be a change in anything, the good shepherd makes sure that the sheep are taken care of. He makes sure that they know what's happening, where he's going, what's going to happen. He prepares them and there's no different here. Jesus is preparing them because he soon would be leaving, he soon would be dying on a cross. And they wouldn't see him for three days. And see, you and I have the benefit of history. We have the benefit of of these events already being recorded for us. And for you and I, we're like, well, why didn't they just understand that he was going to rise three days later? Well, he did tell them, at least on three different occasions, that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would be betrayed in the hands of sinners, that he would ultimately be crucified. But then he said... I will also rise on the third day. And they heard that three times, but it really didn't get into their hearts. It really didn't get from here, from their ears, down into their heart. Because nothing like that has ever happened before. Do you understand? I mean, that is a significant thing for the disciples to comprehend. I mean, I try to put myself in their shoes. And I think it's important for us to do that as well. Because often, because we have the benefit of history... And the benefit of these things being written for us, we already know these things have already happened, and we're like, why didn't they just get along, you know, why didn't they catch up? But folks, listen, if we were there in the same time frame and we hadn't uh, understand everything, like we, we're we probably the best-fed sheep in all of the country, do you know that? And I don't say that because of me, but I say it for my predecessor, but I want to continue in that vein. But you know what, we've, we've learned and we know a lot, But when they were going through this, they had no idea what was happening. They were very frightened. All they knew was that Jesus is talking about his imminent death and and that three days he would rise. Never heard of that before. I mean, they were having a hard time just, you know, getting their head around the virgin birth, which was another miracle. That's another head twister. And now he's going to be going, and then he's going to prepare a place for us, and that he's going to send the comforter. He's going to send somebody to help us. The Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure I get that, you know. And the disciples were in that place, and so we have to cut them some slack. And you know, I really like the fact that the disciples didn't have it all together, because guess what? Neither do you. (laughs) And neither do I, okay? I don't have it all together. I'm glad that it takes me an hour and a half to watch 60 Minutes. I'm just, uh, my latency is just a little, I'm just a little slow, okay, and 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 for people like us, I'm really glad that we have this example for us because it encourages you and I. Because then we realize that we're no different than they are, and we can just rest in God's goodness. But Jesus is now preparing them for His departure, and so let's just read. We're going to look. We're hoping to get through the whole chapter today. You're going, yeah, right, but I'm going to try. Let's just look at the first 15 verses, shall we? Notice in verse 1, Jesus says these things, and remember in in chapter 15, Jesus just spoke to them about the world's hatred for them. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they responded to my words, they're going to respond to your words. But then he goes on and he says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember what that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, underline that word, it's an important word. If you have a King James, it probably says comforter. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, notice what Jesus says, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he I love these pronouns, okay? Just, just so you know, because we're in a in a culture that is all about pronouns. I love the fact that it, the Bible says that it's He. It's not a He's not a She. He's not an It. He's not They. You know, God knows who He is. He's not confused like everybody else. But anyway, I, I digress. So He will tell you things to come, and notice He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. He will take of mine and declare it to you. And and Lord willing, we'll finish the rest of the chapter today. But let's go back in the very beginning here because this is interesting. Notice what it says. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. These things have I spoken to you. This phrase in the gospel of John occurs 6 times. We see it in John chapter 14 verse 25. John 15, verse 11. And then here in John chapter 16, in the first verse, in the fourth verse, in the 25th verse, and finally in the 33rd verse. These things have I spoken to you. And again, does that remind you of, of something that God, that Jesus is preparing? He's spoken these things because he's doing what? He's preparing. He's preparing them. And again, forget what you know for a moment and just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They weren't aware of any of this, even though Jesus told them it was kind of hidden from them. And I love doing that in the Bible. Place yourself as often as you can into the sandals of the one that you're reading about or the group of people. It'll really bring your time in the word to life Because you realize the dynamics all around the person who's speaking and those who are listening and those who are nearby, you start putting and read carefully the text because all these things are painting a picture for us and that really helps us to understand what's happening in the broad spectrum of things. But he's talking to them about his departure. And what thing specifically is Jesus talking about? This could very well mean the thing that he spoke to them concerning the world's hatred. We saw that and just look back at John 15, just the page before. Beginning in verse 18, Jesus told them, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Hey, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. I thought when I came to you, all my troubles would be over. I thought when I came to you, you would solve all my problems, that my issues of finances and my marriage that's a mess and all of these things, that you would just fix those things. And you know, Jesus wants to fix those things. But it also is incumbent upon us to abide in him. See, people treat Jesus like a rabbit's foot, don't they? They live their life like hell. Forgive the word. They, they, they live like hell. And then they expect God to come and, and, and they, they pull out the rabbit's foot and they say, God, no, come on, help me. I just need some help here. And you know what? God in his grace often does. In his grace, he often does. But he wants more than that from you. He wants us. He wants us to abide in him. And why? Is it because he's lonely and he needs some help because he's so insecure? No, God doesn't need anything. He's very content by himself. In fact, before he said let there be light. And before his creation, before he created it, he was very fine. Thank you. He didn't have any arguments. He didn't have people to deal with. I mean, think how easy it was for God. <laughs> now he's got a lot of kids. For those of you who have a lot of kids, can you imagine that? You've got, you got electric sockets that aren't plugged. They're all over the house, and you got these kids running around. That's what it was. And there's like serpents on the ground, poisonous things, and, and Jesus going, <laughs> Calgon, take me away. You know, It wasn't like that. But that's, you know, he's got a lot of kids. He's got all of us. And we're running all over the surface of the earth doing crazy things, and he's going, oh, Right? And he's taking care of us. He loves you, and he loves me. But it's not what the disciples signed up for. They're like, what do you mean the world's going to hate me? He says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, yet I, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So don't be surprised when you find yourself in the crosshairs as a Christian. If you're a newly saved or a new Christian, you may find it a little disconcerting to find that everyone doesn't share your same feelings about Christ, that they don't have the same worldview as you are, because as you read the word of God, what is happening? Our, our lives, our minds are being sifted. They're, they're being, I, I've got so much junk in my head from the things that I've learned from my past, from the things I've learned in college, from the things I've just heard in the world. And I've got so much of that stuff that I've absorbed. And when I got saved, it's like I've, I had to like expunge that stuff. And little by little, the word of God is cleaning me. Isn't, isn't it a cleanser? I mean, it really is. It's more than that, but it, 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 it cleans my heart. It gives me a right perspective. It helps me to think things correctly, the way God sees them, the way God wants us to approach these things, and that's really important. But he goes on and he says, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Folks, there's a time coming, I believe, when the church is going to go through some persecution. Not tribulation, because the tribulation is God's wrath upon a world that has rejected him and his son. I'm not talking about that. God says uh, he has not appointed us to wrath, his wrath. But that doesn't mean that we're going to skate through without difficulty. And I think coming shortly to a theater near us, there is going to be persecution. We're already seeing it, and we're going to see it more and more because we just don't fit. We're like, we're like the square peg that's being tried to be put into a round hole. It just doesn't work. We, we, we go to the beat of a, of a different drummer. The world is going to this satanic drummer, and we're going to this Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're listening to his drumbeat, and we're following him. And there's going to be some incompatibilities and we're seeing them. But see, his disciples, they needed to be prepared for the battle that was at their doorstep. And that would continue throughout the rest of their life on earth. And again, that's what a good shepherd does. And we need, we need to be prepared for the battle as well. Are you prepared? Are you getting prepared? Because it's been raging for a long time. And even now in our world, it is at a fevered pitch The battle that is on. Did you notice that there's a battle for truth these days? Someone said that the, I've heard a quote one time, it says, the first casualty in any battle is truth. It's truth. And I'm going to say something here that some of you aren't going to like, but I, I believe in my heart that it's the truth. We are undergoing a time of great deception. We have been, and it really ramped up in the last two years. The rampant election fraud the lies and the, that have been told by the authorities concerning COVID, concealing the real facts, concealing and then outlawing things that are, that are time-proven remedies for COVID. And the rampant deception and malfeasance by the current administration in the White House and the mainstream media and big tech. Great, great deception. and that's just, you know, And that's just something that's really come to front and center over the last year and a half, two years. But it always been going on. But now we are in, we're in the bottom, of, we're at the deep end of the pool. And what are we going to do at this time? This is the time, folks, for the church to rise. There's never been a time, and I've said it before and I'll say it again because we're right in the midst of it, and you, I want to encourage you to get prepared. Jesus was preparing his disciples, and I believe Jesus would have us to be prepared for what's coming. We know the bigger picture, and now the bigger picture is starting to look, oh my, Clearer than we've ever seen it before. So it behooves us then to really make our calling and our election sure. To know that we are in the faith, to know that we are Christ, and then to be ambassadors for Him. To really say, Lord, search me, take every wicked thing out of my life. I tell you what, there's nothing greater than a time that right now for us to just be to let the Lord purify your heart and your mind, and be willing to sanctify. Be set apart from the world, set apart from the world. Jesus said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among them, and when you come out from among something, it, the, the, the logic stands that you're going to be set aside to something else. And it's him. He's the one I need to be separated unto. I need to, I need to be sanctified. And he sanctified us. He's sanctifying us, and he ultimately will sanctify us. Do you understand? He's already done these things, but practically speaking, we have to abide in him. And I want to encourage you to abide in him because we can expect more tyranny and deception as the time goes on. In Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus speaking of his second coming physically to the earth, not the rapture. He says, But as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left, taken to judgment. Two women will be at the grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, be ye also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus was speaking of his second physical coming to the earth. We call it the second coming. And if that is the truth... If we are seeing these things in our world start to line up with the things that we're reading about the events coming yet future in the Revelation, if we're starting to ooh, starting to get a little pretty close to what we're what we know is happening, if that is the truth, then how close is the Rapture of the Church? <laughs> we are very near the end, folks. And are we aware that as Christians, that we are involved in a spiritual, battle for, for a, a spiritual battle, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of other men and women. And the truth is under siege. It's often been said, like I said, the casualty in any war is, is truth. And we are in a spiritual battle. Do you know that? In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaking to them. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And now as Paul is shackled to this Roman soldier, or Roman soldiers, and as he's sitting here writing this, and he may be looking at the soldiers, he may be shackled to them uh, at some point, we don't know. But as he's looking at their armor, Paul equates all of these things to armor that you and I as Christians need to put on. He says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Are there any wiles of the devil going on? No, I don't think so. I I think he's just, uh, you know, nothing's really happening. It's just kind of like boredom, you know, blase, kind of. No, no, it's ramping up. As the days of Noah were, so are the days before Jesus returns. And if that's the case... We need to be ready. But he says, You do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You notice the the, the position of this? It doesn't speak of one going out with guns and knives and spears and baseball bats. It doesn't sound like anybody's going out. No, you just stand your ground, Christian. We need to stand our ground. But we do have one offensive weapon in all of this arsenal that Paul is going to tell us. He says, Stand therefore having your waist girded about with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your, your, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Can somebody answer that phone? (laughs) Hello, Lord. Maybe it's him. Wouldn't that be great? He calls up and he says, I'm, gonna, I'm coming in about five minutes. <laughs> Got a little traffic jam at the border, but I'm coming. He doesn't need any of that. When he comes, it's going to happen. And it's going to be very quick. And hallelujah when it does, because I'm looking forward to him coming. Amen? Amen. But notice, and, for me, and so basically Paul gives these things, but notice the sword of the Spirit, this word of God, is our only and our best offense and defense. And why aren't we using it more than we are? It is the only weapon of this arsenal, of this helmet, this breastplate, this feet shot with the preparation of the gospel, our waist girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. We won't get into all that, but one thing we do have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So that means that that is our one thing that we have to battle Satan in this world. But are we really using it? Are we using it? Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and I'll I'll read this to you. Jesus believed in it. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is chapter, or verse 1, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, notice, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when he had ended, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, and now this is interesting, the devil approaching Jesus. What a fool's errand that is. He's going to try and tempt Jesus. And notice Jesus' response to each one of these temptations. And by the way, they mirror exactly what we see in the book of Genesis. What the devil did with Adam and Eve, he's doing the same thing to the second Adam. Jesus Christ. He did it to the first Adam and now he's going to try the same bag of tricks on the second Adam. And, what did, and, and where Adam failed in the garden, now Jesus is not going to fail. And what is his weapon of choice? Let's look at it. Notice what the devil said to him. If you are, or since you are the son of God, you know, the devil knows who Jesus is. He knows him better than most Christians. Many Christians. The devil knows who Jesus is. He says, since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And what did Jesus say? You know, that's a really great idea. You know, Panera Bread has this wonderful Italian loaf, and they, they put butter over it, and it's really great, and it's crunchy too, and they steam it, and it, you know, all that. No, he didn't, he, he didn't entertain the devil. He says, Jesus answered, said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And then... The devil, again, takes him up onto a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And The devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. In other words, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You can circumvent the cross. If the world is what you want, I'll just give it to you, but only one under one proviso. You bow down right now, and you worship me, and then I'll give you everything. And do you ever wonder how he had the audacity to say that? Well, what was failed in the Garden of Eden, Adam gave up that dominion, and Satan has it. And the Bible makes no qualms of that. He's the ruler of this world. Now, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. We know that God created the whole thing, but for a season, for a time, the devil has sway over the whole earth, and that's why we need to be born again. That's why we need to be saved, because there's a battle going on, and many of you have experienced it in the physical and in the spiritual. But notice, he brought him up to Jerusalem, set him on the temple, and he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Actually, I'm sorry, I skipped something. Back to verse 7. Therefore, if you will worship me, all of this will be yours. And what did Jesus say? You know, that sounds like a great idea. No, he doesn't say that. He says, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And then he brings them up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And what does Jesus say? I've got a parachute, I've got a hang glider. We can still get this done? No. (laughs) Again, from Deuteronomy, he says, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Notice that. Jesus could have called on a legion of angels and shackled Satan and thrown thrown him into the lake of fire, but in his humanity, he defeated the devil with what? The word of God. And that's exactly what we need today. That's why it's important that we we know it. That's why we get together like this, to build us up, to get to know it, know the Word of God, spend time in it. And he did it all from the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't that interesting? The Old Testament. He battled Satan on a book of the Old Testament. How important is the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is the New Testament only the one that we should read? No, we need to read all of it. Jesus defeated the devil at that time from the Old Testament, from one book of the Old Testament. So it's important, the whole entire word of God. So are we aware of this spiritual battle or are we Christian spectators? I hope that you're not a Christian spectator because if you are, you're not in the place where the Lord would have you. And if you're abiding in Christ, you'll be aware of this battle and you cannot lay down and pretend it isn't happening We need to get into the game. We need to get serious with our walk with Christ. Lives are at stake. Eternal life is at stake. Not only for us, but for others. And the powers of darkness, folks, they're in full sway right now. And they are not giving up easily. I'm thankful that the Bible tells us the end. That Jesus ultimately is victorious. He is victorious right now, but ultimately it's gonna be, he's going to be victorious and you and I will be victorious in him. And so we need to get about our Father's business. But notice what Jesus says back in our text in verse 1 again. He says that you should not be made to stumble. This word stumble is so which which means to offend or to make an offense. And Jesus speaking about his sacrificial life and our abiding in him. Remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus spoke to his disciples. And he says, most assuredly I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And they were flipping out over this because they're like, wait a minute, you've never encouraged cannibalism. And is Jesus speaking of cannibalism here? No, he's not. Because at the very end of that chapter, going down toward the end in verse 63, he says... Um, well let me say this he says when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this he said to them does this offend you? does this you? does this offend you? what then if he should see the son of man ascend where he was before and then he gives them a clue he said it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life And see, the disciples would stumble just a few hours from that moment. (laughs) So when Jesus says, I've said these things that you might not be made to stumble, Jesus knew that they were going to stumble. It wasn't something that he didn't know. He knew what was going to happen. In fact, in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31, and this happened um, when they had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would ultimately be taken from that place. When he was in, the, in Gethsemane, he says, All of you will be made to stumble. There's our word again. Jesus here in the upper room says, I prayed and, and, and I don't want you to stumble, but you're going to stumble. You're going to have some hard times. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. So verse 2, he says, Then that they will put you out of the synagogues, yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And we saw this in John chapter 9, if you remember, there was a blind man who was from birth, and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day, and naturally he's excited because he's never seen before. Can you imagine? Not ever seeing before, and all of a sudden the, the Jesus comes and gives you sight, and and now for all the things that you've been running into, and the things that you've been imagining, and your all of your other senses are peaked because now that's all you've got now all of a sudden you can see and you can put a face to a name you can put a, a you can touch something that you've you've handled many times and you can see these things he told the jews he told the pharisees and they, and they were uh, very ambivalent and very um uh against this man because he said that jesus had touched him and they didn't believe in jesus and his parents even you know he goes and, and finally He tells the Pharisees, they they, they don't believe him, and finally they ask his parents if these things were so. And his parents answered and said unto them, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means now he sees, we do not know. Or Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. And so his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Isn't that exactly what he said here? The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And yes, and they will throw you out of the synagogues. Do you think the cancel culture that we live in, the woke mob, is something new? It's really not. The Pharisees were basically saying, if you don't believe our deceptive narrative, you will be canceled Social justice in the first century. What does Solomon tell us in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9? That there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. What happened then is happening right now. And Jesus and his disciples experienced it. They were being canceled. They didn't call it that, but that's what it was. And after he continues to tell them the truth and challenge them, they say to him who was formerly blind, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue because of his belief in Christ. Hmm. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. You remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, they killed him ultimately and they thought that they were doing the right thing where God was concerned. But here now, Stephen gets arrested. And he says to the Sanhedrin, this ruling class of of Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. There he is speaking to authority under the influence of the Spirit of God. (laughs) You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And ultimately they, they gnashed upon him, it says, uh, and they, they gnashed upon him, and they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Does that sound familiar? You know who Saul is? that, that Who is witnessing the, the death of the first martyr of the church? It was Paul the Apostle. Yes, the one who wrote two-thirds or penned two-thirds of the New Testament the one whom God had set on fire, the one whom would be beheaded by Nero in Rome over his faith in Christ. But before then, he was just a zealous Jew who wanted to eradicate all of the stuff about Jesus. And even Saul of Tarsus, he was one of the most zealous of the Pharisees. In Philippians 3, verse 5, it tells us that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee and concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, he was one of the worst enemies the church ever had at the beginning. But after his conversion, he became the greatest advocate for Christ. Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, because of his zeal, he thought that he did God's service by killing Christians. In Acts chapter 7, it says, And they cast uh, Stephen out out of the city, and they stoned him, and, uh, and they gathered the clothes uh, at, at Saul's feet, and Saul was consenting to his death, it tells us in, in, um, in eight verse one, Acts eight verse one. he was consenting to his death, and at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Samaria, except the apostles. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dropping or dragging off men and women, committing them to prison until finally in Acts chapter 9, and this is the the the, the fork on the road for Saul and his life. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that as he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' So Saul was a great enemy. Yes, the time is coming that they will kill you and think that they do God's service. And even one of God's own, the precious Apostle Paul, started off as one of the worst enemies of the church. Let me ask you, is that a God of grace? Has he been gracious to you, regardless of the things that you've done? Is God upset because you're, you know, you've, it doesn't matter what you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Listen, this guy was killing Christians pulling them out of their house and killing them, taking them to prison. And God would use this man to not only change his life around, God had a plan for him, changed his life around. Now he's penning two-thirds of the New Testament. There was probably nobody that I know of other than Christ himself who was as sold out as the Apostle Paul. And he didn't start off that way, though, did he? He started off as a As a scoundrel. And I relate to that because I'm a scoundrel too. I'm thankful that he's got me. Notice verse 3 in our text. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. If they knew the Father and Jesus, they certainly wouldn't have done this. But they proved that they didn't know him by doing these things. But these things, verse 4, I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But these things, when the shepherd is with the sheep, he doesn't need to tell them in advance. Because he's there to protect them. But there's coming a time when Jesus will be taken from them. And that's why he is forewarning them. I love what David said in the Psalms. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, God, are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. But now Jesus would go away. Verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? Remember Jesus' origin. It wasn't from the earth. Remember, it was, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Are you sure about that? Almighty God, this baby born in her womb is Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Did Joseph have anything to do with this? No. He had nothing to do with it. He was basically a caregiver. To Jesus. He had nothing to do with it. He never touched Mary. But the Bible foretold 700 years before it happened that this woman, this young lady, would have the very seed of God placed in her womb and bring forth the Son of God, God Almighty Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's his origin. That's why you could say, I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where I'm going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The disciples were still not clear on Jesus' mission. Again, I'm so glad they were slow, because it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Because I realize I'm not all that either, <laughs> Jesus told them on at least three occasions, guys, I'm going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And oh, by the way, gonna rise on the third day. They heard it three different times in the gospel accounts. It tells us that he told them that. And then when we see a, a week before Jesus would be crucified at the triumphal entry of Jesus. We know it as Palm Sunday. What happened? It says, His disciples did not understand what was happening, but when Jesus was glorified, when he was resurrected from the grave, then they remembered these things were written about him and they had done these things to him. So astute cognitive ability was not a requirement, evidently, to be a follower of Christ. And I like that because, again, I qualify I don't have astute cognitive abilities. Nevertheless, Jesus says, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, however you want to call it, he's called the paraclete in in the Greek. It means somebody who comes alongside Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Jesus wasn't gonna leave his disciples orphans and he won't leave us orphans either. He said he would go to prepare a place for us and that he would send the spirit of God to indwell us. See, that's something new in the New Testament that the Old Testament believers, they didn't have the spirit of God indwelling them but you and I have this wonderful witness Because Jesus is no longer here with us physically, present. And so he's able to minister to all of us. Right now, at the sound of my voice, people all over the world are either going through what we're going through right now in churches. Or have already been through their church service. They probably slept because 12 hours ago they had their Sunday morning service. But they've all heard these things. The same Holy Spirit working here in this room is the same Holy Spirit that's working everywhere. And now he could do that to all. And very easily because Jesus would breathe upon them, and I had some, I'll have to get this squared away, I apologize. I had some things I wanted to share with you. But Jesus would breathe on them on the evening of his resurrection. Remember in John chapter 20 verse 22, he breathed on them and they received the spirit of God. And, 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 but yet there was going to be more to it. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And I believe that Jesus here is speaking about the baptism or the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that would occur on the day of Pentecost, thus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy of Joel's in chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Because we know that the day of Pentecost occurred about a week after Jesus ascended into heaven. Notice verse 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world, the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me, yes. He will convict the world of sin. To deny the Son of God is sin. Ultimately, to reject Christ to the very end is sin. And you will pay the price for that decision that you make. God is not going to force you to do anything. He loves you enough to give you the decision he doesn't force you. You, know, you notice that? Other religions in the world, they, they, they kind of coerce you to do something. But God has done everything and he just lays it bare before you. This is all that I've done. It's written. This is all that I've done. Come and dine. Come. The invitation is to come and yet we have the ability to say, no thanks. <laughs> and God pleads with humanity, come to Christ. There is an accounting Folks, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need Jesus Christ. And I believe in him with my whole heart. Do you? I love him and I want him to consume everything about me. And I pray that you feel the same way because if you do, he will and does and will continue to do it. He says, Of sin because they do not believe in me. And the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Hey, guess what? He was the only righteous one on this earth. There is no one like Jesus. He was sinless. And yet he, in his humanity, he defeated Satan in that wilderness for four days. Or for 40 days, actually. He defeated him in his humanity. No, he, wasn't, he didn't put on his, his Superman cape and saying, I'm the son of God. And therefore, you know, the devil's going, oh. No, Jesus veiled that. He, un, he, just, he put that away. And he says, if I'm gonna defeat sin, I gotta do it in my humanity and I'm gonna do it here and now. And he did it for us. He is the the perfect example. And Jesus did not sin. He did not sin. And yet because of his death and his resurrection, now when we do sin, we have an advocate. If we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What better thing could we have? There's really no better thing, and a, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Yes, Satan was defeated on the cross at Calvary, and he's alive and well right now. But guess what, folks? The Bible tells us that the mystery of iniquity, God is allowing it for a season, but His end is coming. And you know what frustrates the devil more than anything is that he knows the word of God better than you and I. He's already looked at the end and saw his beginning. Do you think he doesn't know this? He's a spirit. He's not omniscient like God. He's not omnipresent, and he's certainly not omnipotent. Only God is, but Satan is looking through this and going, I wonder what's gonna happen to me. He's going, Well, if that's the way it's gonna be, then I'm gonna take out as many of those that he loves, that Jesus loves, and that's his attitude. He's going down, and he doesn't care how many he takes with him. He doesn't care. He wants to take as many down as he wants. And even though he can't take away your salvation, Christian, if you're saved, you're saved. But if you, even though he can't take away your salvation, what he can take away is your enjoyment of it. He can ruin your witness if you're getting sloppy. He can ruin everything. You're still, you're still going to go to heaven, but guess what? You're going to live a miserable life. And I don't know about you, but if I'm a Christian, I want to live a blessed life. I want to have a happy life here, a really blessed life, regardless of my circumstances. That's what I want. That's what God wants for you and me. So I'm all in. Are you all in today? Are are you all in? (laughs) Are you all in? Be all in. Jump in with both feet and don't look back and give it all to him. Give your heart unreservedly over to him. And I love this. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus said, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. And he will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. As we've been going through these, John chapter 4, and even as now we're looking at John chapter 16, I've made a list of some things. And I, I, if you uh, go online tomorrow, you'll be able to see all these slides that I wanted to share with you so you can review them as you listen to the message again, if you'd like, to take notes or whatever. But there, what was the purpose of the Spirit of God given by Jesus? What was his purpose in coming Let me just rattle off eight things, at least. And these are things that are corroborated in Scripture. He will teach you all things, in John 14, 26. He will bring to remembrance all things that Jesus has spoken, John 14, 26, same verse. He will testify of Jesus Christ. Notice, he doesn't testify of a man or a movement or or, or anything. God doesn't glorify a man. The only one that he glorifies and speaks of is Jesus Christ. He doesn't go, wow, that guy's got a mega church. Wow, that guy's got a church of 15 or 20 or 30. It doesn't matter. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't magnify a man. He magnifies Jesus. Never forget that. If you go to a church and Jesus is not being magnified, do yourself a favor and talk to the pastor. And if he won't listen, then you leave. Because you and I, we need this. I don't need a sermonette. I don't need a feel good message that, oh, God loves you. And, you know, even though you messed up, you know, God's going to accept you. Just stay the way you are. It's okay. You can still have that relationship. God knows that love, love is love. God's a God of love. It's okay. I don't care. It's fine. No, it is. It isn't fine. It isn't fine because God says that it's not fine. And when He says that it's not fine, I better listen up, (laughs) right? He will testify of Jesus Christ and he will also convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He will guide you into all truth. Certainly the word of God, but I believe that God even does, the spirit of God does even more than that. He guides us into his truth, but I think also the truth, period. Do you know what I'm saying? I think he makes us aware of when we're being bamboozled because he wants to Help us in this world of deception that we can see the truth of what's really going on. And folks, you and I, the Christian church is, one of the, is the only entity that I know of that has the ability by God's spirit working in us to see through the smoke and the mirrors. And we are, and we're rising up and we're saying something about it. And we're getting other people to open their eyes too. And it's not even our opinion. These things are very obvious, and they line up with the word of God. So you got everything on your side. God is on our side. You remember that song? Uh it doesn't matter. So anyway, he will... He will guide you in all truth, and only what he hears the Father speak, he will speak. He will tell you of things to come. Hasn't he been doing that? Didn't he do that in the disciples' life? Isn't it because of their writings, the Apostle Paul specifically, that now we know of things to come? Think about when Jesus said this. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet. And the Holy Spirit would come upon those men, in those men, and they would write things, and they would be given things from the Spirit of God, direct revelation from God. They wrote it down, and Jesus put a stamp of approval on it by even doing miracles to confirm the word that was spoken, and now it's written for us all to see. And aren't you blessed and glad that we have all of this to look at now? We know the big picture. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the world. The Lord has told us already the minutiae of things, I don't know. But the bigger picture, he shows us. I don't know about you, but that settles my heart because I can see those things coming to pass. Is anybody awake? Can anybody see what's happening? Seriously, open your eyes. It's happening, folks. It's happening. Things are cruising along, and they are happening, and it's blowing my mind, I'll be honest with you. And notice he will glorify Jesus. He will glorify the Son. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son does what? He glorifies the Father, and yet they are all one God. I love that. For there are three that bear record and witness bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, or Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. I don't quite get the Trinity, but I believe it by faith. Amen. All these things, verse 15, the Father has are mine. Therefore I said to you that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says, a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while you will see me. And because I go to the Father, and they said, therefore, What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is saying. And now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sour because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. Ladies, do you remember? Sorry, I sound like Porky Pig there. Don't worry, your husband, when he's sleeping on the couch watching the Super Bowl today, he's going to do the same thing. So. Except he'll have wing sauce on his around his... Um. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Where did we go? Where did I go? You guys are blameless. But notice, a woman when she's, and ladies, you know this. When you're going through labor, oh my goodness, it feels like it's never going to end, but afterwards, the joy that overcomes you. And therefore, you now have sorrow, Jesus says to them, but I will see you again. I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy, no one will take from you. Now, Verses 16 through 22, you can see that as a whole section. But look at verse 16 again, what he said. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. There are three different ways that we can look at this. First, a little while and you will not see me. It may refer to the three days that Jesus was in the tomb. They certainly didn't see him. And then when it says, and again a little while, and you shall see me, this might refer to the joy they had when they saw him on the evening of the resurrection and before his ascension. John chapter 20 tells us that he saw them that, that very evening. In, in verses um, excuse me uh, 19 through 20, he saw them that very evening after he rose from the grave. Secondly, it could also refer to this. When he says, a little while, and you will not see me, that could refer to the time between his ascension which was 40 days after his resurrection. It could be that time between his ascension and the day of Pentecost, which was roughly a week later. Seven days, could be. Could be referring to that. And again, a little while, and you will see me. That may mean when the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, just a week later from then. It could mean that. But I believe, thirdly, is what this probably means, at least I believe so. When he says, a little while and you will not see me, I believe that refers to the time when Jesus ascended to heaven, that period between when he, wrote, when he ascended into heaven up until the rapture, which hasn't even occurred yet, that's yet future to us, hopefully will happen before we finish lunch today. <laughs> even before lunch is fine. <laughs> now would be a good time. Right? A little while and you will not see me. I believe that's that gap of time between his ascension and when Jesus physically comes to meet us in the clouds and we are caught up to meet him. And again, a little while, and you will see me, he refers to the time again at the rapture when we will see Jesus face to face along with the disciples. Because we know that the dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. They will be caught up to meet him in the clouds. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, that we who are alive and remain will be caught up. We'll be harpazoed in the Latin rapio or raptus. We will be raptured. That's where we get the term rapture. It's from the Latin of harpazo. It means to be violently snatched up and changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's what's coming for you and I. And so we will see him face to face. And can you imagine the joy that's on our face? Is there anything, honestly, folks, that, that you want more than that? I don't, there's nothing on this earth, I don't care how great of an event it is, there is nothing that holds a candle to Christ coming for his church. And I believe that the more we dwell and abide in him, you're going to have that same feeling in your heart. And you're like, oh, come quickly, Lord. Yes, he still has got some, he still wants to save others. But you know what? God will take care of people. But he wants us to be sold out for him and waiting for him and excited about his return. Are you excited about his return for the church? I'm excited. And is it just because I want to escape this putrefied world? Yes. Yes, I'm not ashamed of it. Some people say, well, you Christians are just a bunch of weasels. You know, you just want to escape. And I'm like, well, yeah. (laughs) You're more than welcome to stay. I mean, the Chinook helicopter may not come over the embassy and rescue you, but you know what? God's got a better plan, and it doesn't require a Chinook helicopter. And you're welcome to come. come, That's right. (laughs) He's coming for us, and that is so exciting. I love that. And I believe, um, let me see here. And the reason I believe that is because of a verse in John 14. Let me read it to you. John 14, verse 19. Jesus, just a few chapters ago, still in the upper room. All right, this, he says, A little while longer, and, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will, also, you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. I believe that when Jesus is speaking of that, because if you look at verse 19 of John 14, he says, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. Why is that? Because he would be crucified, and that ultimately he would rise from the grave. Right? They wouldn't see him. He says, But you will see me, and because I live, do you notice the clue there? Because I'm already because at that time I'll be alive, so will you be. He uses the same word that Jesus, Jesus' life and his resurrection, we're gonna have the same exact body. A celestial body. As I live after my death, as I live, so will you. And he uses the same word. So I believe that he's speaking of the rapture. And then he goes on and he says, And at that day you will know that I am in the Father, and I in you, and, I, and, and you in me. And that will be the greatest joy. And in that day you will ask me nothing. And most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And we already looked at that last week. Until now you've asked me nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And see, we don't know. You won't know until you ask. You know, I'm just silly enough to where when uh, I'll ask the questions. I like to ask questions that nobody likes to ask. And I like to ask things where I'm not really sure of the outcome. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, they're probably going to say no, but I'm just going to ask. It doesn't cost anything to ask a question, does it? Except pride, it costs an ounce of pride. But you know, ask, and you may be surprised that you will receive. <laughs> so Jesus, He says, these things I have spoken to you. There's that phrase again that occurs six times. These things Jesus said, I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Because Jesus, he won't need to, they won't need to ask him. They can ask the Father directly. They won't need to ask him. And Jesus, I believe, is speaking about this thousand-year reign of Christ. When Jesus finally comes back at the end to put an end to the tribulation period, when he physically comes down to the earth and we follow him back and he starts his thousand year reign, the millennial reign of Christ on this earth in Jerusalem. He's going to do that. I believe he's speaking of that. In that day you will ask And I do not say to you that I shall pray to the father because he won't need to because it'll all be laid bare right in front of him. And for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the father and have come into the world again or come into the world. And again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and you're using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? There's a question mark there. Do you now believe? And I love this because Jesus affirms to them, Guys, I know you love me. I know you believe in me. But notice what he says after this. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, and has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And this is interesting because, again, he affirms their belief in him, but he also warns them in advance. Guys, you don't even know your own heart. Does anybody here know their heart? to know how you would respond in a certain circumstance. I've come to find that I know nothing, or I know very little of my real heart, of what I'm really made of. But the circumstances of life, they bring these things out. And then I, the way I respond sometimes surprises me. Because I think, well, I, this is what I, if, I would, if that happened to me, I would do this. And then God, in his wonderful grace and maybe even sense of humor, brings that about in your own life and you realize, oh, I'm really not all of that. I thought I would do this and that, and I was, you know, like, mmm. And God's going, well, what did you do? You fell on the ground and cried like a girl, Rob. You, you cried out like a baby on the ground. You said that you were going to be this great thing. You know, you said that you were going to stand up and do this, and, and then when the time came, you fell and you're, you got your thumb in your mouth and you're in the fetal position. What's up with that? All right? But Jesus affirmed their faith, but he also warned them. And of course, that's a prophecy in Zechariah 13, verse 7. And we'll end with this. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the shepherd will be scattered. And then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And that's exactly what happened. The shepherd was struck The sheep were scattered, even his own sheep, even his own disciples. When they came, Judas brought the band of men to come and arrest him. What did they all do? They eventually all fled from them. And it was prophesied a few hundred years before that that would happen. So how important is the word of God there's a lot of warning, there's a lot of things to hear to learn about our own selves. And I love that because it's there for our nurture, for our admonition, for our rebuke, for, for our instruction in righteousness. The Word of God does all these things. And I would encourage you to really um, draw close to the Lord. And finally, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, there's the last phrase, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have a tough time. And the first century church went through untold things. The burnings at the stake. Think of all the martyrs of the church. You're going to go through some tough times. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He meant the salvation for man has been paid in full. And have you made that decision? Today, is it finished in your heart in your life have you gotten to the point at the end of your rope after all of your resources have been expended have you gotten to the point where you know what God I am at the end I am at the end and you've got to help me Lord and you know what he responds really greatly to, to true desperation If you're truly desperate this morning, God wants to respond to you. He's never let me down. He's never let me down, especially those times when I have been truly at my end, when I have been truly at my wits end and without strength, without anything and feeling like a failure and things are coming at me I can't control, I don't even know what to do and I say, God, I don't know what to do. Please help me. And every single time, he has helped me and he'll help you too. Be encouraged. Jesus is coming very soon. Do you believe it? I believe it and I'm looking forward to seeing him. But until then, folks, can I just implore you in the sweetest way possible, get your account straight before God. Get your heart right before God. Read the word of God daily. Even if you don't understand it and you don't have it all together, just read the word of God. Read it. Get with somebody you can read it. Pray about it. Talk about it. Give yourself over completely. Ask the spirit of God, Lord, come upon me. Come in me if, you, if I'm not one of yours. Lord, invade this heart of mine and take over residence and then come upon me to empower me for service in these last days. I need that. We all need that. Do you need that? Let's stand together and let's pray and let's ask him today. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we recognize, Lord, just like the disciples, we didn't have it all together. And Lord, we, we, we don't even know what to do most of the time, God, but we rely upon you, Jesus. You're the only one. You're the one who saved us, Lord. You're the one who knows the end from the beginning. You are the end in the beginning, Lord. You were there. And Lord, you already know what's coming, and we don't have a clue completely but, Lord, we need strength. We need your spirit to, to rest upon us, to give us the power we need to live in this world, to be solid in you and to be committed. Lord, would you please do that in the, in the hearts of all of us today? Would you get a hold of us? Get a hold of us, Lord, and help us to abide in you and to love you. Change our hearts, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May, it, may I be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.